Hello, fellow podcasters and listeners. Well, market's pretty bloody red today. Got to say that right now. It's going to be a fun day on Wall Street in general. But I think today's podcast is going to be, be even more fun to talk about. In fact, there's a lot of topics from the past that we're going to be talking about again because Wall Street might be lying at some points. And the U.S. government is being total hypocrites currently right now, which is going to manipulate the markets, in my opinion, a little bit. We're going to be talking about today, first off, we got to talk about the U.S. manufacturing numbers for April, okay? we got to review those as well because manufacturing gives us an idea of how things are looking currently. We're also going to be talking about Walmart and a little bit of Target. Haven't decided fully if I want to cover more on Target tomorrow, but we will talk about Walmart for sure because both of them just released their earnings and it gives us an idea of how the spender is spending their money currently. We're then going to be talking about oil and how this relates to the U.S. government currently right now as well and how it relates to a past podcast that I had spoken on about OPEC. And finally, we're going to end today talking about Netflix and how things are happening at Netflix, but Wall Street is having a wishful dream currently right now. But with that being said, guys, like I always say before I start this podcast, I have to remind you, I'm not a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about on this podcast is for information purposes only. I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. Please go talk to your own financial advisor as they would know your financial situation a lot better than I would currently. With that being said, guys, let's begin today's podcast. U.S. manufacturing output rises more than expected in April. Washington from Rudders. Production at U.S. factories increased more than expected in April amid continued strong demand for motor vehicles and other goods, which should help to underpin manufacturing activity. Manufacturing output increased 0.8% last month after a similar gain in March. The Federal Reserve on Tuesday, economics polled by Rudders, had forecast factory production would gain 0.4% output, jumped 5.8% compared to April of 2021. But manufacturing, which accounts for 12% of the economy faces challenges from renewed supply chain bottlenecks because of the Russians' invasions of Ukraine and China, and China's zero uh, tolerance of COVID-19 policy. The Institute for Supply Management Index of National Factory Activity hit more than a year and a half year low in April. A survey from the New York Fed on Monday showed factory activity in New York State fell in May for the third time this year. The dollar, which has gained at least 2.7% against the currencies of the United States' main trade partner since the Fed started raising interest rates in March, could also hurt demand for exports and undercut manufacturing. Production at auto plants increased 3.9% last month after accelerating 8.3% in March. Most durable goods industry ind- industries post gains uh, with only non-metallic mi- mineral products, electronic equipment, Appliance and components and furniture and related products recorded recording losses. April's rise in manufacturing output combined with 1.8% increase in mining to lift industrial production 1.1%. That followed a 0.9% advance in March. Good to see that things are looking a little bit better in the manufacturing side of things. I still think there's going to be issues involved. I mean, we did talk about in the March article that there were issues with finding people I think it was that we talked about or maybe I'm just mixing it up with other past articles but I still think the manufacturing is going to have issues I mean if there really is not enough people to hire currently right now it has to be an issue potentially down the line I mean even Boeing's having issues with trying to keep up with the manufacturing for their planes currently 
So maybe things are a little bit better, but not by much. It's hard to tell. And we'll probably have a more clearer understanding of what's happening come when May's numbers come out in June. So continue to keep an eye out for manufacturing numbers as it will help us understand a little bit more what's happening in the manufacturing things in the United States. Next one, Walmart profit falls short, cuts outlook, hit by higher fuel and labor costs. Walmart reported a 25% drop in quarterly earnings and it cut its full year profit outlook on Tuesday as rising cost of fuel and labor hurts its bottom line while shoppers squeezed by decades high inflation move to buy lower margin basics. Shares of the retail retailer fell nearly 10% in the morning, trading its biggest one-day percentage drop since February of 2018 and dragging down shares of rival Target Corp by 3%. Target's obviously reported numbers since then, so we'll cover that in a second. Walmart serves as a bare meter for U.S. consumer sentiment as it as it is in the United States, largest retailer operating more than 5,000 stores and commands a leading position in domestic grocery sales. Its earnings are closely watched by investors for hints about the health of the U.S. economy. With inflation at nearly four decades high, CEO Doug McMillan characterized the operations environment as unusual and that its profits drop was unexpected. McMillan cited elevated cost of everything from fuel to labor and e-commerce fulfillment as factories for dragging down its earnings to $1.30 per share in the first quarter, which missed estimated by a wide margin of $0.18 cents and marked its first miss in five quarters. While some consumers are watching their spending closely and gravitating to private label brands and half gallon of milk, others are spending on gaming consoles and higher margin items, Walmart CFO Brett Biggs told Rudders. It has been difficult to estimate how consumers are reacting to higher inflation with U.S. e-commerce data on Tuesday showing a healthy 0.9% rise in April retail stores. Now, on to Target because Target did report earnings this morning as well. Target shares sink 25% after company says high cost inventory woes hits profits. They're almost virtually saying the same thing currently right now. Target on Wednesday reported earning recorded earnings that fell far short of Wall Street's expectations as the retailer coped with pricey freight costs, higher markdowns, and lower than expected sales of discriminatory items from TVs to bicycles. The company's share fell about 25% in early trading. Here's what Target is reported for the fiscal quarter ending of April 30th compared to compared with refinitive consensus estimates. Earnings per share, $2.19 adjusted versus $3.07 expected. Revenue, $25.17 billion versus $24.49 billion expected. The national retailer, known for its cheap chick brands of apparel, home decor, and more labeled an especially elevated sales period. A year ago, shoppers had extra dollars in their pocket from stimulus checks and reflected the sense of optimism with their purchases as they got their first COVID-19 vaccines. Sales did grow compared to with that a year ago period. Comparable sales, a key metric that tracks sales at stores open at least 13 months and online grew 3.3% in the first quarter. That is on top with a 23% increase in comparable sales in the year ago quarter. And it's higher than Wall Street projection for 0.8% according to street account estimates. Target stores and its website's traffic rose 3.9%. Even so, CEO Brian Cornell said the company's missing the mark as it gains were accompanied by unusual high cost. I expect Target to rebound pretty fast as this company, okay? Target, 
I used to work at Target. I understand a little bit of how Target works as a company. And Target will weather the storm. Walmart for sure will weather the storm as well. I mean, Walmart's, if I remember reading a few years back, Walmart's main source of income for their company is groceries. So a lot of their, a lot of the money that Walmart makes is from groceries. Target, on the other hand, they do have groceries as well, but it's not like their bread and butter. Their bread and butter is pretty much everything else in the store. And obviously, I can't give away all the information that I know about Target, but I can tell you from a shopping perspective why I think Target's going to increase really, really fast. One reason why I think Target's going to do really, really well, if you walk into some Target stores right now, they removed a lot of those red phones. I'm sure some of you would remember if you've ever been inside a Target, they got rid of the red phones and replaced a lot of those red phones with pads, okay? What's nice about the pads now is I don't have to pick up a phone, have to call someone to come over and talk to me. They have to look up the product and then we have to go find to see if it's on the shelf. No, in reality, they're turning Target guests into almost like the, the worker at the store who's looking for the product for you. And obviously, if you, if you struggle with finding someone, you could probably call someone over. But what's nice is if I go to a Target, I don't have to talk to anyone as much anymore. I can literally just type in what I'm looking for in the pad, go to the area to see if it's there. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. And then I can look up other stores on the pad as well to see if it's at those other stores. And maybe even call those other stores as well in that section, which means Target and the workers at Target can focus on their work to get the product out faster. Target's going to be probably saving a lot of costs because they're, they're focusing a little bit more on technology, it looks like, within their stores currently. I'm sure Walmart will do the same as well. I mean, I haven't stepped into a Walmart in a while, but I do expect Walmart to continue to do well if there is a downturn in the economy. Because like I said, Walmart makes a lot of their money off of groceries. Target will probably adjust as well based off how the economy is doing. But these two, these two stores right now are pretty much dragging the dragging wall street down currently right now but if there's also anyone who i know can turn things around fast to target it's brian cornell brian cornell is a really smart ceo and that is someone you don't ever want to dismiss ever since he's taken over the company everything he's done has been just smart move after smart move after smart move so I mean, this might be a buying opportunity if you are looking to get into these stocks. Like I said, this isn't financial advice, but who knows? This might be an opportunity for some of you who are looking to get into these companies. This might be it. I mean, we'll obviously do your research and look into the companies, but I have faith in these companies going forward. So last quote from the Target article, while we saw health, and this is from Brian Cornell, while we saw health top line growth in the quarter, we're less profitable than we expected to be or intended to be over time. He said on the call with reporters, among the challenges, Target said profits also hit by inventory that arrived too early or too late. Compensation and headcount that rose at distribution centers and a mix of merchandise sales and that looked different than before. Obviously, supply chain issues are going to be an issue if product doesn't arrive on time. But I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of these companies are going to have probably start using robots within their distribution centers potentially, if not within the stores as well, just to potentially help with uh, cost if that's going to be an issue. So, I mean, here's what I expect too. I expect self-checkout lines to become more of a thing if we're really in this bad recession with cost and high inflation right now. So 
something to keep out for going forward, guys. Now, this is where things get fun for me to talk about today. WTI crude oil ends lower as the U.S. may lift some Venezuela sanctions. Okay, let's get into this. West, Tech, West Texas in, uh, Intermediate, or WTI, crude oil fell on Tuesday after the United States moved on some sanctions on Venezuela, allowing Chevron to enter negotiations with the country's government and potential eventually allowing the company to export crude from the country with the world's largest oil reserves. WTI crude on June delivered close down to $1.80 and $112 per barrel. Market Watch reported July. Brent crude, the global benchmark, was last seen down $2.28 or U.S. $111.96, while Western Canada's selection was down $3.10 to U.S. $97.01 per barrel. The drop comes as the Biden administration said it will issue a license to Chevron to negotiate with the government of Nicholas Moderno, according to the Washington Post. With exports allowed to resume, providing Maduro enters into negotiation with the country's opposition head of free elections in 2024. Okay, this is where things get interesting, okay? If you remember in the past, when we've talked about this oil issue, one article that came up in our talks on this podcast in the past was that the U.S. government was trying to sue OPEC in order to see if they were screwing over the world with oil. Now the U.S. is allowing to ease economic stations for Venezuela because they need oil. Politicians we've elected in the United States, they are the, I swear, the dumbest people we've ever elected at this time, ever across the board. Doesn't matter if they're in Congress, if they're in the Senate, or if they're in the House. They are not that bright, okay? They're trying to sue OPEC. Venezuela is part of OPEC, and now you want to release economic sanctions on them. A little bit more from CNBC News, because they can cover this a little bit better. It says, the limited changes will allow Chevron to negotiate its license with the state-owned oil company, PDVSA, but not to drill or export any petroleum of Venezuela origin. Two senior U.S. government officials told the Associated Press late Monday. The officials spoke under the condition of an of anonymity because the federal announcement had not been made. Additionally, Carlos Eric um, Mapica Flores, a former high-ranking PDVSA official and nephew of Venezuela's first lady, first lady, will be removed from the list of sanctioned individuals, they said. The moves follow goodwill gestures by Maduro after meeting in March with representatives of the administration of President Joe Biden and a recent gathering in Central America between U.S. officials and the mainly Unitary Platform Opposition Coalition to discuss a path forward. Quote, these are things that the Unitary Platform negotiated and came to us to request that we do in order for them to be able to return to the negotiation table, one of the officials said. Scores of Venezuela, Venezuelans, including the country's attorney general and the head of, st- of the uh, penitentiary system, and more than 140 entities among the Venezuela Central Bank will remain sanctioned. The Treasury Department will continue to prohibit transactions with the Venezuela government and PDVSA with U.S. financial markets. Maduro himself is under indictment in the United States, accused of conspiracy to flood the United States with cocaine and the use and the drug trade as a weapon against America. Okay, this is what's probably going to end up happening. Okay, this is how stupid things are going. 
They're going to lift the sanctions. They're going to say, oh, Venezuela, you should allow free elections to happen. And Moderna will be like, sure, I'll allow free elections to happen. And the election will happen. And all of a sudden, Moderna is going to be back in power. And the guy who ran against him is probably going to disappear. Okay. You cannot talk to dictatorships in other countries to help to help your economy. Okay. At the end of the day, we still should be energy independent. We should not be relying on OPEC. We should be drilling in our own federal lands or other lands within our country. Okay. This is going to be a, a huge mess. Okay. Obviously, politicians in Washington are trying to do everything they can to show to their voter base that they've been doing their job in Washington because this is why they should get reelected. They, they tried so hard and things didn't work out. Okay. You know what the market's going to do when this happens? The market's going to get excited at first, probably, and be like, oh, good, we're getting more oil into the United States. And then when anything goes wrong with Venezuela, whether Maduro takes over or when, um, or if another sanction has to be put applied because we're trying to sue OPEC, oil's going to crash a little bit or go up. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how emotional the market's going to be at the time. There's so many factors currently that can happen. This is just so dumb. So, so dumb. I mean, on May 7th, we're going to sue OPEC. And then on Monday, oh, we're going to we're gonna help uh, lease some sanctions a little bit for uh, Venezuela so that they can um, potentially export oil. Yeah, this is dumb. This is so dumb. We need to drill in our own lands. That's what it boils down to. I mean, that's one reason why Chevron didn't get hit the most. I think, if I'm not mistaken, when the Russia oil embargo happened, it was because most of Chevron is within the United States. Obviously, they're in parts of the world, too. Like, I remember being in Peru and seeing them in Peru. But for the most part, Chevron is in the United States. And so... This is just dumb. This is probably the dumbest thing I have ever read for both the politics side and the market side. Keep an eye out for oil, guys, and keep an eye out of what this presidency is trying to do because it's going to affect the oil markets. Expect oil, I think, to continue to rise under this just stupidity of how things are being run right now. So, but enough ranting about oil. Last one, which I'm going to really enjoy talking about. Netflix lays off about 150 employees, mostly in the U.S. Netflix on Tuesday said that it laid off about 150 people, mostly in the United States, as the streaming service company faces slowing growth. The layoffs represent approximately 2% of the company's workforce in the United States and Canada. These changes are primarily driven by business needs rather than individual performance, which makes them especially tough as none of us want to say goodbye to such great colleagues. The company said in a statement, we're working hard to support them though through this very difficult transition. The job cuts come as Netflix reported its first loss of subscriptions in more than a decade and forecast deeper loss in the coming quarter. It said the war in Ukraine and fierce competition contributed to loss of customers. How does the war in Ukraine affect Netflix? Okay, maybe they're not watching as much television in Ukraine. Okay, makes sense. Are they not subscribed as much? Maybe. I don't see how that affects it in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Netflix, you have no content currently. That's what's boiling, that's what it's boiling down to. And your conflict you uh, content, I mean you that you do have 
is not the best, okay? Because here's the other thing too, with Netflix currently right now. This announcement comes after they virtually told people at Netflix, like, quote, from Fox 7 Austin, and obviously this is in other news reports as well, Netflix tells employees to quit if they're offended by new culture cultural memo. They virtually told people at Netflix, like, hey, if you don't like where our culture is going currently right now, then leave, okay? This was like three days ago, I think it was. It was announced kind of over the weekend. If I, so, like, not a whole lot of people would have known about this. But they're saying, streaming giant Netflix has told employees to leave the company if they're offended by the content the company is producing. Really? The stuff you guys have been producing the last few years, at least in my opinion, have just not been the best, okay? And I've talked about this too in the past. Disney has a lot of streaming, like a lot of movies, okay? For instance, they have The Mandalore right now and people want to watch The Mandalore or the Ben Kenobi series from Disney. This is not a promo for Disney. Disney has their own issues, obviously, with streaming, but... You, get, you kind of get the point. Disney has some license agreements that Netflix does not have. Netflix is trying to make their own stuff, but it's not working out in their best interest currently right now, at least in my opinion. I mean, I still have not pull, pulled up Netflix and watched anything on Netflix. I even think when I hang out with friends, sometimes I watch Netflix. I know I've talked to some people and they've told me, yeah, I've canceled my Netflix subscription because I'm getting tired of watching something on their programs and it's just not good content. People are pretty much leaving Netflix and Netflix is trying to do everything they can to save their image currently right now, but it might be a little too late. And the part that's really worrisome right now currently is Wall Street is still having this fantasy that Netflix is still this great company because it was part of the Fang stock for so long and people just can't admit the fact that probably Netflix's best days are behind it. So it says here, according to Fortune, after years of doubt and a, a disastrous earning report, Web Wedbush now predicts a 50% stock gain for Netflix. How is Netflix going to gain 50%? Okay. Like, I don't get it. And this is where things get crazy. It says, let's see, in the article, it's mentioning how he predicts that it will get to $280 a, t a share. Okay. For years, uh, Web Wedbush was Wall Street's lone holdout when it came to Netflix. While other investment banks praised the streaming giant's impressive growth and increased their already lofty prices, targets with each quarterly report, analysts at the Los Angeles-based investment firm were uh, decidedly bearish. That all changed this week when Michael Patcher, Wedbush lead Netflix analysis, upgraded the company's stock as an outperform rating, reiterating a 280 price target. Even as his investment banking peers continued to abandon the streaming leader, slashing their price targets amid fading subscriber growth, Patcher argues the company will find its way. The analysis admits Netflix isn't isn't the rapidly growing tech powerhouse it once was, but that doesn't mean it's un, it's an unworthy of investment. Profitability is a yardstick to measure. Netflix by moving forward, not revenue growth. While investors shouldn't expect Netflix to return to its sky-high valuations of its last few years anytime soon, a 50% jump in share price is possible in 2023, according to Patcher. Quote, we don't believe that Netflix shares 
price will approach 2021 levels for many years, but think that our price target of 280 is achievable within the next 12 months. Patch wrote in a note on Monday as Netflix shares traded 186. We find Netflix shares to be a compelling investment. I don't believe it one bit. I think Netflix is done. Okay. I'm sorry. People are unsubscribing. People are leaving. The writing might be on the wall currently for Netflix. You're competing with Apple TV. You're competing with Disney. You're competing with uh, Discovery Channel. You're competing with a lot of companies. We've talked about their prices too. And I can't remember all the details, but at the end of the day, if you end up subscribing to like a lot of these apps, you end up paying the same amount as you were if you were just paying for cable. Okay. The difference obviously is you're not having ads on Netflix or Disney or all these streaming platforms. Whereas if you watch cable, you have to deal with ads. But Netflix, I think is done. Sorry, Netflix. It's been a good run. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, obviously. And I will admit if I'm wrong, I just don't see it currently right now. Net people are leaving. No one's really watching Netflix as much. I mean, Netflix did well during the pandemic because everyone was at home. But I also think it woke up a lot of people to realize that Netflix doesn't provide decent content right now. And that's what's going to determine a lot of these streaming services is can you produce the content and can you get the actors or actresses that can be able to continue to grow your business? And I don't see that with Netflix. Okay, maybe Stranger Things because a lot of people love Stranger Things. But Stranger Things is only for like one season at a time. And when the season's done, then people will end up leaving to go join another subscription base, probably. So I don't believe Wall Street. Sorry, Wall Street. Especially you, uh, what is his name? Packer or whatever we want to call it. Uh, Pat, Patch, Patchter. Wed, Wedbush. I don't believe them one bit. Ignore them, guys. They're going to try to get people to buy into that. Maybe they have a huge bet already on it and they're trying to make sure they're not, their losses aren't as bad. So, but yeah, that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have enjoyed it, I ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast as every like and subscription that we get for this podcast can help grow this channel so we can continue to talk about market news and how that could have potentially affect the stock market and your future investments. I also ask too that if you think friends and family would enjoy this, that you please share this video, uh, not video, this podcast with your friends and family in order to, like I said, continue to grow this channel. Thank you so much today for listening to this podcast today, guys. Thank you and goodbye.